This is the Hiking Through Life podcast. We've all been gifted a journey called life. Let's see where the journey leads us today. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast, where we talk with people who in some way, shape, or form have been influenced by the outdoors. I'm Andy, the producer of this podcast, and my lovely wife, Sarah, will be your host. Together, we make up Hiking Through Life. This podcast is all about bringing all kinds of people who are inspired by the outdoors and sharing their stories. We hope that by sharing people's stories, it inspires others to get out and live a more meaningful life. Tune in every week for new episodes, or better yet, subscribe to the Hiking Through Life podcast on your favorite podcast provider. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with others. Also, if you have a story to share or know of anyone who might be interested in being a guest on this podcast, head on over to hikingthroughlife.net slash podcast and get in touch with us. Now sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Tonight we are joined by Dan and Ashley Bredemus. I hope I said that right. <laughs> Who are the directors of Birchwood World Learners Camp. And it's really unique because they're also a father-daughter team who are running this camp. It's a camp up in the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness. And we're going to hear the story of how this all began. So thank you for joining us tonight, you guys. Oh, thank you We're for having us. Yeah. And I mean, like I said, I think your story is so unique in the fact that you guys are a father-daughter team running the camp. And it looks like you have one more person who runs the camp with you as well. Yes. But the fact that it's a father-daughter running the camp, I think, is such a special thing. So has this camp always been in your family? Yes, it was founded by my uh, parents in 1968. And they've been in the camping business uh, since 58. And uh, prior to that, uh, uh, my mother's parents were owners in uh, a big camp down in central Minnesota. And that's where my mother grew up. And my mother uh, met my father when my father, who was a, a FIED teacher at Blake Academy in Minneapolis, became a counselor at this camp. And they met and uh, uh, dated and eventually were married right in the girls camp lodge. Uh, and then a few years later, they decided to start their own camp. And so they started Camp Birchwood for Girls in uh, south of Bemidji, about 25 miles. And then uh, several years later, they bought this property and started this camp. And so when they decided to start that camp just for girls. Was there a reason they only wanted it to be girls at first? Well, that's uh, um, the two camps that my grandparents owned were uh, two private children's camp. One was a boys camp, one was a girls camp. And so they they kind of uh, got started that way, thinking we should have one or the other as opposed to a co-ed camp. And uh, they kind of like the idea of a girls camp. So and there's tremendous benefits to, I, I grew up at the girls camp. I lived there ever since I was two years old. And girls, when they're not around uh, their male peers or counterparts, uh, are quite a bit different uh, than they are when they're in that environment. And so it's a chance for girls to just be kids and just be girls and not be influenced by all the uh, the influences that come along with uh, 
with the boys being around. And same goes for the boys here at our camp, uh, not to be distracted by girls. <laughs> right. When the, we have a girls trip come through camp and it, it breaks down to pandemonium uh, at times when the girls come through, as you can imagine. Um, There's so, a very long line for the shower, miraculously, before the girls arrive. All the boys want to be looking nice and smelling good. It's just so funny to see. But <laughs> Yeah, because the camp is ages 7 to 17. Is that right? Yep. Yep, yes. that's right. Okay. Yeah, so that's that's interesting. That is, like, totally the age where those all those experiments are coming out in kids. <laughs> right. Well, at the girls camp, when I was a kid, I remember we used to have regattas and we'd invite several different camps over. And these girls that I knew with uh, their tennis shoes on and their hair rag and the sweatshirt, all of a sudden, you know, had makeup on and their hair was fixed up. And, you know, it was just a whole different environment. So I think the single sex uh, environment is a, is a really good thing. Uh, for both boys and girls. Yeah, I grew up as a, a camper at the girls' camp, um, which, you know, it felt like home to me because my grandma was there, my aunts and uncles and cousins all there. So it was a real family deal, but I was nonetheless a camper. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's like this magical place that you can just be yourself. The friends I made there are the friends that I still have today. Um, I could go to any state in the country and I would know somebody there because of camp. So you guys are getting people from all over the country to come to this camp? Yeah, kind of our base would be Chicago, Minneapolis, St. Louis, Kansas City, kind of the Midwest. Um, but we, we've, we've had kids from every state. Uh, we've had kids internationally from France, from Mexico, from Canada, uh, from Germany, all over the place. And oftentimes we have international staff as well. Oh, what a what a cool experience. Wow. And so um, wrapping back to so, Dan, you grew up at the camp and Ashley, did you grow up at the camp as well? Yeah, I was a camper at the girls camp. Um, I we we had a house in Grand Rapids, which is where I grew up. But then I spent my summers at the girls camp um, and then spent quite a few uh, months at, at the boys camp building stuff with my dad. Um, yeah. Okay. And then, so did you guys, in addition to the camps, did you take family trips to the Boundary Waters as vacations? Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, I've been involved with the camp, uh, well, the camps forever, but uh, I taught school in Grand Rapids for 31 years and uh, wasn't directly involved with the camp. And so we did projects for the, for the camp. We'd come up and uh, we built a big water slide and a zip line and great big pontoon boat and a cabin and all kinds of different things. Um, although many years ago, back in the 80s, I built uh, this log building that we're actually sitting in right now and uh, a couple other buildings here. And then uh, for two summers, Ashley's mother and I uh, directed the camp. And then when I got my teaching job, uh, it just didn't work out that way. And so other people have directed uh, including my brother's uh, kids. Both of his kids were directors for <clears throat> uh, several years. And was it so something you were always trying to keep in the family? Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. Yep, it's a family mm -hmm. business, and uh, it's uh, we're, we couldn't be more excited to be back as a family running it uh, ourselves, and we're looking forward to the future. Yeah, so neat. So 
Ashley, for you, I mean, what are some of your fondest memories growing up being at the camp and going into the Boundary Waters with your family? Most of my experiences in the Boundary Waters have been with my dad. Um, I remember the very first time, well, I guess the very first time I was at Virtual Wilderness Camp was as a really little kid. I don't remember it, but I remember the first time I ever paddled past this camp. Um, was that on my very first trip? No. That was on my second trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the very first time I paddled past this camp. I just thought it was so cool. And I thought, why did I go to the girls camp all these years? The boys camp is so neat. Um, it's just more rugged and in the woods, in the middle of nowhere. But, um, but yeah, I don't, we've had lots of great adventures, not only in the Boundary Waters, but I just feel like all of our adventures that happen to be outdoors. But some of my fondest stories, well, when we built the water slide in 2010, I had just graduated high school. Um, and we spent a month building that dang water slide. And if you've ever paddled uh, past our camp on the Seagull River, it's hard to miss. It's quite the landmark. I mean, it looks like, I don't even know, you'd, you'd have to see a picture of it. But it's this terrifying looking water slide that kids just have so much fun on. And I was the very first person to go down the slide after we built it. And I maybe have been on it once or twice since because for me, it's so scary. <laughs> But man, it's so um, fulfilling to watch boys go down that slide and just have the time of their life. Um, And knowing that I spent a month building that with my dad, that's really cool. Yeah. And Dan, do you have some, like, what are some of your fondest memories of camp and being with Ashley? Oh, well, it's, uh, we've kind of been joined at the hip forever. uh, Because I was a teacher, I had summers off. And so and uh, Ashley's mother didn't have summers off, so um, we did things together, and it was just, uh, it seemed so natural. Um, we had, we seemed to have a different relationship with each other than, unfortunately, a lot of parents and children have, uh, just because of the way things work in their lives, but we've uh, climbed uh, Stone Mountain in Georgia and uh, hiked all over uh, out west. Uh, we've uh, been on the Grand Teton together, and We've skied all kinds of places out west. And um, I remember one time uh, we went to Duluth and we were going to hike up to uh, Eagle <laughs> Mountain. And it's, uh, it's uh, if people are listening from outside Minnesota, it's not a mountain like out in Colorado, but it's a very high rock granite structure. And uh, I decided, let's, let's go around the backside. And she was quite small at the time. And and we're climbing up through this uh, maze of brush and rock. And finally, I said, uh, she was getting tired. So I can't go any farther. I said, well, climb on my back and you just ride. And I'll, I'll give you a piggyback ride up there. Next thing I know, we're, we're rock climbing where we should have had equipment. Um, it was quite exciting and, and uh, <laughs> quite thrilling. And I remember we got to the top. And uh, do you remember what I told you? No. Oh. Don't tell your mother. <laughs> <laughs> we took a picture that day, and I yeah. have a picture from the top of that. Yeah, yeah I was quite young. That was, was fun. Just a little kid, but uh, and so that's that's kind of typical. Um, you know, when I took uh, two different groups to Europe uh, in my school uh, program, a, a little competition with a vehicle that they built, and uh, luckily I was able to bring uh, Ashley and uh, and my wife at the time, and you know, so Ashley's schlepped bags all through Paris and all over the place and London and England. And uh, I remember uh, I had uh, cancer years ago and I went through chemotherapy and after chemotherapy, it was uh, summer 
and we decided to go to the Boundary Waters. And so uh, here I was with no hair and uh, still pretty weak from the treatments. And uh, I remember we, Ashley's policy has always been uh, one trip across the portage. So you make sure we pack accordingly so we don't have to take two trips. And uh, I remember going across Stairway Portage and saying, man, I, I can't do it. I just can't carry the backpack and the canoe at the same time. And, and so she cut me some slack and allowed me to make Not two trips. But <laughs> so anyway, and it was only so we did that before she went off to camp to the girls camp. And then after the girls camp, we went out west and uh, here we were climbing up uh, uh, another mountain, um, Independence uh, Peak up by in Dillon. And uh, I remember, you know, she kept asking, well, are you going to be able to do it? Are you going to be able to do it? And and my response is, well, I, I don't know. We'll, I'll just do as much as I can. And and the next thing, here we were with our two cousins uh, on the top of the mountain. So we persevered. So I can say that we've, we've been through thick and thin and we've always gotten along pretty well. There's, there's a rub here and there, but for the most part, we enjoy each other's company and do well together. Well, we must. Otherwise, we'd be nuts to go into business together with this camp. <laughs> Yeah, and to be living out in that wilderness. Yeah. You guys, you have, so each of you has like your own little cabin up there, correct? My cabin is about 24 by 40. It's a big log building. Um, It just has uh, one room and then a little back area. And then Ashley lives in a cabin that's 16. uh, 16, 200 square feet. Yeah, 16 by 16, but three feet of that's a porch outside right and it's it's just tiny it's just four walls um no running water wood stove for heat it's called the pepper shack it's pretty cute (laughs) yeah i watched your your video tour of it the other day (laughs) yeah that's it so you know some people think that we are roughing it and compared to you know city life i suppose it is our nearest town is 60 miles away and that's after a two mile walk down the river but um, but we have electricity, we have internet, and uh, we have plenty of firewood stocked up. So, it, you know, the cabin goes from hot to cold, and it's not that big of a hardship. Um, all we have to do is go to the metro area, or any metro area for that matter, and it's like, wow. Get me back. Yeah, well, let's go back <laughs> up to the river. To camp. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just Best. become something so, so normal to you guys that going into society and like the busyness I'm sure is just you're just so done and ready to <laughs> yeah. Yeah. be back in the woods well Ashley sure. carries a uh, bread little uh, pieces of bread in her pocket because there's uh, whiskey jacks the Canadian jays that mm. uh, follow us all over the place and they're always begging for food and we've kind of befriended one of them that uh unfortunately his, his upper beak has uh, been I don't know broken off or deformed or I don't know, but he doesn't have it. And uh, we've, we've named him Geppetto. And he follows us everywhere. <laughs> he'll, uh, Ashley will give him a little piece of dog food. And we did a, Ashley and a friend of hers did a slow-mo picture of this bird. And he actually takes the little nugget of hard food and throws it up. And then he opens his mouth wider than I could imagine he could open it and grabs a hold of that piece of food. It's it's really fun. So, And we've got little red fox that are around. And, the, the point is, life is slower pace here, and you live more intimately with the seasons. 
Um, but it's really fun to live at camp. A lot of other camps, they've got a winter headquarters somewhere else. We really like being here year round. Yeah. I mean, it looked like your little pepper shack was right next to where some of the staff come. I mean, it's basically yep. connected. Yep. It was originally built to before, uh, when this cabin that I'm in was a, a camper cabin, uh, the pepper shack was built and then they had a director that had some kids. And so we built an addition uh, or was a connected building uh, as, a, as a bunkhouse for those kids. And now we use it as a counselor room. Okay. And so, yeah, speaking of the counselors, it, I mean, it sounded like you guys have counselors from all over the world sometimes. Do the counselors that come out, do you find that they continue to come back summer after summer or does that change? Oftentimes when we get a staff member, they'll come back year after year until they graduate college. And then it's time to go out in the world and, you know, get a full-time job that's year round. So usually we'll get, we'll get staff for their college career and then we set them free and oftentimes they send their kids back to us. That's awesome. Yeah. And so you guys said that it's also like kids being sent to the camp from all over the country. And do you find that those, those kids are coming back summer after summer? Yeah, we have a really good return rate. It's in the upper 90% range. So it's not unusual to see a kid at age seven and then see him at age 17. Oh, what a cool experience. I mean, their life is being so shaped at that time. So I'm sure you guys yeah. just see so much growth in those kids. Because a lot of the time, I'm guessing that when they're young, their parents are saying, oh, you're going to go to this camp. And do you ever see like kids who don't want to be there? Sometimes, but it lasts um, maybe the first week, if that. And then they're totally in it. Once they have their first trip, because uh, we're a, a tripping camp, so they go out into the Boundary Waters. Um, after that first like cabin trip that they go on, there usually aren't any issues. <laughs> and, you know, we're a small, I say we're a small by design camp. Um, a lot of camps have you know, 300 kids in camp at any given time. We've got between 35 and 45 kids in camp, and that's on purpose. We like to keep it small because we want kids to develop deeper connections amongst other campers, amongst our staff, with us, and with themselves. Um, and we find we can do that a lot better if it's a smaller camp. And so is that 35 to 40 campers for the entire summer or just per sessions? Just at any given time. So we run for eight weeks. Um, and then there's within that eight weeks, there's two four-week sessions. And within each of those four-week sessions, there's two two-week sessions. So a camper could come for two weeks or four weeks. Um, or eight weeks if they wanted to. We don't see that very often. And so every time they're there, they're out on a trip in the Boundary Waters. They're never just like back at your home base kind of hanging out. For the weekends they are. Um, and then during the week, we send out a four or a five day, a four day and a three day trip. Um, and everybody's back in camp Friday afternoon and they spend the weekend doing archery, riflery, waterfront arts and crafts, uh, backcountry cooking, guitar, fishing, you know, normal, like in camp activities. And then during the week, they're either in the Boundary Waters paddling or hiking on the Superior hiking trail or climbing on the North Shore of Lake Superior. We send out some biking trips every now and again. So, yeah, but it, they get to pick their own adventure. 
Yeah. Yeah. Really cool experience. I mean, they're just getting the best of all the worlds up there. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're in such a unique location because we literally share a property line with the Boundary Waters canoe area. Uh, So all they have to do is hop in a canoe. You go left towards Saginaga, you go right towards Seagull. Um, It's the Boundary Waters is literally at the end of our dock. What a really unique thing. I mean, and yeah, just to be up there all the time, you guys have really special experience. Yeah. So um, do you guys do any winter camps? Currently we do not. Um, All of our cabins, all of our camper cabins are not winterized. They're just summer cabins. So right now we don't, but maybe in the future. The biggest hindrance we have with that is the the plumbing situation. Uh, Our septic system isn't set up for winter. And so that limits us quite a bit. Okay. Yeah. And so, yeah, with that too, for you guys living up there year round, what's that like for water? And I mean, it looks like you have a, an outhouse from what I saw on your blog, Ashley. Yes. And do you have one too, Dan, or is yours um, a little? No, we share the same uh, structure, but uh, I do have, uh, uh, we carry water in to the cabin. And so we do have a, a shower here. Uh, that we can use, uh, but uh, you know we don't use it every day. Um, Only because... when it's above zero. Yeah, so it's uh, we're not living like animals, but uh, it's not the same luxury as you would find in most houses in the United States. Yeah, and so when you say you carry the water, and does that mean like from the nearest town? No, from the river. We can pump the water out of the river uh, and get it up here, but I can't do it when it's uh, really cold. So we have to kind of ration our, our water. And then we do bring drinking water in. We cook with the river water, um, but we don't feel comfortable drinking it straight out of the river. In the summer, we have a water treatment uh, plant. And so we, we treat the river water and that's what we do use. And it's, uh, it's all governed by the state and uh, monitored, uh, but it's not really set up that way for winter. Sure, sure. And I can only imagine that just to pre- prepare these places for winter, there's there's probably a lot that you have to do. Oh, well, well even the building we're in, it's not, it's not really winterized. It has six inches of styrofoam on the, the roof and uh, no insulation in the floor. So the, oftentimes the floor is uh, quite cold. Um, but there's a wood stove in here that's big enough to heat a barn. And so, like I say, the temperature will be 80 degrees at one point, and then in the morning it'll be 40 degrees. So it's a little bit of a temperature swing. But it's been so warm recently. But I, on Thursday, you said the low is negative 23 and the high is negative three or something. Yeah. So I'll be up in the middle of the night putting wood in my wood stove for sure. Because that's something you have to have running all night long. Yeah. Yeah, well, we don't want this building to freeze up yeah. either. We've got too many other liquids here that if it if it froze hard, it would be a real mess. Yeah, yeah. So we can't. We've got a pretty short leash. Uh, we were. I was gone for just one day, one night, and time I got back, it was what did they say, 33 degrees yeah, in here. Yeah, he said 33 degrees. Caught it just in time. <laughs> pretty sure water freezes at 32. So. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> wow. Yeah, just in time. Wrapping back to the camp, um, do a lot of the kids come with like experience in paddling at all or does it vary or what does that look like? Oftentimes new kids that come have zero experience. They they don't know the bow from the stern on a canoe or anything, um, 
but because we have such a good return rate, um, uh, those kids do know. So when the kids get to the end of the trail, uh, arriving at camp for the first time, uh, there's a whole bunch of canoes there and they put their life jackets on and, and they're told follow <laughs> and they do, they manage. Um, but uh, they pick up the skill pretty quickly um, because it is primarily a canoeing camp, or at least it's, you couldn't come to this camp and not get in a canoe. And we have achievement awards. So you can, the highest award in wilderness, our wilderness program is the Voyager. And so to do that, you have to plan a trip, you have to portage a canoe, you have to lead an activity at a campsite, you know, all these sort of things. So by the time a kid gets to the Voyager Award, they they know what they're doing. And our goal is that they could then take their family or their friends on a trip. They could plan a trip for their family and guide them on that trip. So it's really cool to see like a little seven-year-old kid come in not knowing how to paddle a canoe. And then he's 17 years old in our senior leadership program. And when he's not at camp, he's taking his family on a paddle trip. That's part of the, one of the pillars of the camp uh, my father and mother uh, started with was to teach life skills. And so it's it's one thing to take kids on a canoe trip, but it's another thing to uh, help lead them take their own canoe trip. And uh, that I think is, is critically important. Um, you know, the old teach a man to fish and he eats for the rest of his life idea. We had a parent recently, I was talking to the mother on the phone and she said, you know, when I sent when I sent my son to camp, he was a boy. And when he came back, he was a man. And that's kind of like the best thing for us to hear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's got to be. I mean, there's so much growth that they go through coming here, especially like, I mean, the fact that these families are keep continue to send their sons back summer after summer, year after year. It clearly means that you guys are doing something amazing for these boys. I think one of the biggest things is what a confidence booster uh, wilderness trips like these are. And I hear the same thing for a girls trip. I led our girls camps group uh, last summer on a, on a Boundary Waters trip. And our youngest one was eight or nine. Um, and by the end of that trip, her and all the other girls had portaged a canoe and they like their confidence was just through the roof. And I can only hope that that continued throughout their school year and then through their life. But I think the confidence that kids get from camp is one of the biggest benefits. Yeah, that's huge, especially to be, I mean, portaging a canoe at that age. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well, the personal growth that we see, um, as opposed to kids that go to athletic camps where they're, they're trying to learn skills. And of course, we understand the value of teamwork at, uh, at sports camps. But in the activities that we do, uh, especially rock climbing is a good example of uh, you have to push past your fears. And of course, for those that may not know about rock climbing, we only do top roping. And so uh, if you lose your grip and you fall, you go down about three feet and the rope tightens up and you start back up. It's not a dangerous thing, even though you're in a, a potentially uh, you know, real dramatic situations on the North Shore and such. But when a kid can get through that climb that they maybe thought they couldn't do, and it's not because they're trying to race somebody or be better than somebody, they they were able to do what they didn't think they could do. I, I think that's gold. That's uh, it's really powerful. It all is put on display on that final campfire before our campers go back home. And these 
these young men that have just gained all of this wilderness experience, uh, the sun starts to go down after they've told all their stories and they start crying and they're just so like overwhelmed by this experience they've had and that they have to say goodbye to these friends that they're going to have for the rest of their life. I mean, I've been in that situation as a camper myself, so I know exactly what they're feeling and it's, you can't get that anywhere else but summer camp. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally, I totally understand that feeling too. I've been a camper myself too. So, wow, that's so cool. So how, how many years have you been directing the camp um, as a father daughter team? This is our first summer. This is the first summer that we've done this. Um, the uh, I directed two years prior to this, and uh, as I said, we've we've done all kinds of work here at the camps, but this is the first year together that we're going to run owners. the whole show. Awesome. And then, so the third person is that just because there's there's so much, so you guys wanted to bring a third person on too. Well, that's no. the reason right oh, there. No, the third, fiance. the third person is my fiance. Yeah, he um, he's worked at camp uh, for four years now. He was a counselor, our program director, our pack out director. And this summer he'll be my co-director. My dad and I are owners. We're co-owners of the camp. And then Victor and I are um, co-directors. So that's how he fits into all of this. He's got a degree in uh, environmental and outdoor education and it's just like so up his alley. Um, so our program is really his like his child. Like that's he focuses on making our program what it is. Um, I'm really good on like the sales end of it, the photography, the marketing, that sort of thing. And he's like the mastermind behind our maintenance and our buildings and projects, that sort of a thing. Uh, his camp name is Uncle Dan. Everybody has camp names if you're a staff member. My camp name is Penny. And Victor's camp name is Stride. And what's the story behind Uncle Dan? Well, Uncle Dan came from when my brother's uh, son, who was also named Dan Bredemus, uh, was director here. And it didn't. we needed to distinguish the difference. And so he, at the time, he was called Danny Boy, and I was Uncle Dan. And Uncle Dan just never went away. Just makes sense. You are like everybody's uncle here <laughs> to all the campers. These names are derived uh, oftentimes from uh, just goofy things that uh, happen uh, during staff week, usually. Yeah. Um, Stride was a cross-country runner in high school and uh, did some in college, right? Yep, he was a collegiate runner, too, so that's how you got the name Stride. And then mine was Penny. Um, So I live in the Pepper Shack, which he built, which Dad built um, with my mom and my grandma, and you were listening to Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band when you built the cabin, so you named it the Pepper Shack. Uh, it's, it's not a far jump. Uh, Penny Lane is the name he's given the trail up to the Pepper Shack, uh, which is also a Beatles song. So Penny, who lives in the Pepper Shack. <laughs> That's me. Yep. And the road behind us is called? Abbey Road. Abbey Road. <laughs> oh, wow. Just all so fitting. All <laughs> so fitting. <laughs> yeah. and it's oh, but dear. We, we yeah. have fun. It is and fun. The, the three of us together are, uh, you know, equal directors. We don't uh, think in terms of, you know, executive director or whatever. Um, we all have our strengths and we all have our weaknesses and we try to uh, work together to make it all work. It's amazing, it, though, how 
all of our weaknesses seem to be each other's strengths. We're just like a really good trio. It works out well. And we, I've been up here for the last two summers prior to this, uh, helping out with the building and, you know, fetching and hauling kids and, you know, all the garbage and everything else. <laughs> yep. And I built half the buildings up here. So it's not like it's new to us, even though this is the first year together as directors. Yeah. Well, a well-oiled machine. I mean, there's no doubt that that's what you need in order to run a summer camp. Nonetheless, one that is on the water and with a wide range of boys. So that's really cool what you guys are doing as a family. And yeah, congratulations on your recent engagement there, Ashley. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. We've also, the other fun thing we've got going on this summer is a yoga retreat. The first one we've ever done and it sold out in nine minutes. So we're really excited for that. It's a women's yoga retreat at the end of like once all of our boy campers go home, um, it's a long weekend of yoga and paddling. Neat. And that's for like adult women? Yep. yep. What a cool thing. And do you lead that or are you bringing in a yoga instructor? Yep. So it's through uh, Boreal Bliss Yoga Retreats out of Walker, Minnesota. Um, they contacted us and wanted to host a retreat here. So we'll be doing more of those in the future for sure. Yeah, that sounds amazing. I would totally go off for that. Yeah, <laughs> we'd love to have you. But well, we've got plans already and some of the materials to build a yoga deck. Um, and uh, hopefully in the near future, we'll have a, a deck that'll have a roof and be screened in. Uh, so the idea is that you'll be outside and yet a little bit undercover. And so we're pretty excited about that project coming up. If there's anything that a person could dream up in terms of like structure, he can build it. So Perfect. I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. And so when people come to this yoga retreat or just the boys camp, so how many cabins are on your property? 12, uh, 12 bunk houses. Uh, and almost all of the bunk houses sleep eight, except for our largest one for our senior leadership program, which sleeps 12. Okay. Okay. And then, so they come and stay at those like right when they arrive at camp and on the yep. weekends only. Yep. These are just screened in uh, cabins uh, with no electricity. The uh, washroom is just down the trail here, but they're roofed and there's uh, canvas roll downs if the wind blows and they want to close it up a little bit. But there's no electricity, no heat, no Internet, none of that fun stuff. There's plenty of other fun stuff, though. There is a there's a river swing. There's the water slide. There's a sauna. There's. A zip line, there's some bouldering, there's a land swing. Yeah, the land swing is there's, one of the more popular. It is, that's things. super fun. There's you all sorts of fun jump stuff. Jump off a little 20 foot platform on the side of a tree. Uh, I mean, it's all, you know, fenced in, so to say. And uh, you ride on like a Tarzan rope on a platter <laughs> you sit on and you sail about, I don't know, it must be 40, 50 feet out. Yeah, that's fun. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that sounds like the experience. And I'm, yeah. For a boy, that's like the perfect thing. <laughs> right? It totally is. <laughs> totally. And so, Ashley, it's my understanding that you were living in Florida for a while and then you moved back to kind of put yes. your whole heart into this camp. Is that correct? Yeah, kind of. Um, so right out of college, I graduated from UW-Madison with a degree in mechanical engineering. And the company I took a job with out of college sent me to Birmingham, Alabama for work. 
which is so different. I mean, I was born and raised in northern Minnesota. So to be sent to Birmingham, it was kind of a culture shock. Um, but I worked there for two years as an engineer. And then I transferred to Florida into the Panhandle, uh, uh, Pensacola area, where I worked for another two years as an engineer. And I had always wanted to come back north. Uh, but the timing just presented itself. And I decided to quit my job there and come spend one winter up here, which is where he was living at the time my dad was living. I just planned to stay there for a winter and then get another engineering job somewhere in Duluth or Minneapolis that spring. And as the winter progressed, my uncle who owns the girls camp um, and who did own the boys camp at the time um, was talking to us about maybe selling the boys camp. And so we hatched this harebrained idea. You know, what if we bought the boys camp? Uh, it's where we were living. So uh, I never did go back to my engineering career in modern day society. <laughs> um, and so now this is what I'm doing and I couldn't be happier. This is like perfect for me. <laughs> That's so awesome. And Dan, were you just, I mean, were you so happy when you found out your daughter was coming back to, <laughs> to oh, live up there? <laughs> absolutely. In fact, when she first came up, you know, we weren't thinking of making this a permanent uh, deal. And then uh, when things changed with my brother, uh, we decided, you know, hey, we're, you know, we've got a five bedroom house down in Grand Rapids that we're not using. And as heartbreaking as it was to sell that, we thought, well, now's the time and we'll invest it here. And so that's what we've done. So, yeah, I don't I don't think it could get any better than, you know, being partners with Ashley. But don't let him fool you. When I before I quit my job, I came up to camp for a few weeks just to like test the waters. And right before I went back to my job, uh, he said, he sat me down and he said, you know, you should just spend the winter with me. If I were able to spend a winter with my dad, I would have loved that. And I said, oh, you're really guilting me there, dad. So, <laughs> so I did. Yeah. I mean, sometimes those things just hit you right in the heart and that's, that's, yeah. Wow. Super special. And, uh, um, yeah, so the camp, so you guys said you're still in the process of finishing your hirings and staff for the summer. Yeah. Surprisingly, we've got about half of our team hired already. Um, and some really awesome people I'm really excited about, but yet we've still got the other half. And then this summer we've decided to have a volunteer nurse on, uh, on staff. So we're offering a week of uh, nursing up here to stay in one of our cabins and, and be our camp nurse. So we're filling those slots as well. Awesome. And so other than that, like, in the, I mean, what else in the winter, do you guys have any other like side jobs you do? Or is it just like all kind of camp maintenance, slowing down? Or what does that look like? It's more than you think. Yeah, it's not slowing down. It's yeah. not. <laughs> um, there's a unbelievable amount of uh, work to be done uh, with recruiting and uh, uh, and the maintenance is uh, there's always, you know, anybody that owns their own home knows how it's continual. And I'm like on my dinner table right now, I've got uh, all the signs that uh, are up in front of the camp, all I'm repainting them all. So that's filling the dinner table right now. And right out back, I've got a handful of canoes that need some work, uh, some rivets and some uh, portage pad repairs. And, and never it's, ends. it never <laughs> ends. There's always something to do. Uh, that's one of the differences uh, that we're afforded by living here is that, you know, it's right here and we can do that where 
in the past, somebody's always been somewhere else all winter long. And so uh, it's not nearly as easy to get all those things done. So No, but the beautiful thing is if we are cooped up and need a break, we can put the snowshoes on and go hike to the Boundary Waters Lake on the other side of our property or walk to get the mail, which is a little adventure. It's a really good spot to be. Um, and then when I'm not working for Birchwood, I've got my own blog that I like to write because I just love writing. So, I mean, we have all sorts of things going on. Well, we've got the best skier in northern Minnesota, oh, or in Lutzen. Minnesota, the Lutzen Ski Area. So it's uh, about 75 miles, but uh, we like to get down there when we can. Yeah. So we're not yeah, suffering. You guys... <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I mean, it sounds like a really, like, just slower, peaceful way of living from my it... understanding. It is. Well, and it's it's interesting because you just live so intimately with the seasons. So when winter hits, you just slow down with like in alignment with the pace of nature. And then spring comes and this momentum gets rolling. And then the summer happens in like a blink of an eye and it's October again. And you just start the process all over. Um, but yeah, winter here is definitely slower. Yeah. Well, and to live up there, I mean, yeah, like you said, you guys really need to be in tune with the seasons and need to be preparing every season and getting your house weathered ready and everything. So right. absolutely. Well, just yeah. to get the firewood alone takes quite a while uh, in the fall uh, to haul and everything, everything that comes into camp has to be hauled down the river and then up the hill. And um, so just, just to go to town, to the grocery stores, you know, practically an all day job. <laughs> Well, yeah, I saw Ashley's post about that, I think, where you guys take your snowmobiles, drive to your car. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yep. yep. And that, well, and then this winter, so I've got a dog. She's a big shepherd dog. Um, she's 11 months old now, but she's big enough to pull a sled. So for Christmas, she got a dog sled and oh. she's learning to pull that so she can pull her own weight and our groceries. <laughs> oh, perfect. That was, <laughs> that was a really exciting moment when uh, I was. Right now, we have to lead her because she's not that well-trained. She's learning. Uh, but somebody has to be at the back of the sled, and you can hop on the skis, and there's a break there. And uh, I was, uh, the first time I got a ride with her pulling it, we were going down the river, and I just was so amazed that, my God, I'm riding on a dog sled on the Seagull River. And I just, something I always thought would be cool, but I never really wanted to, you know, to keep dogs all year long just for that but uh but having this pet that can pull that sled and her feet are as literally as big <laughs> as your hand and they're they're webbed like a duck um giant paddles so and she's she also has a purpose here and that's that um, we do have uh, black bears and uh, the dog being around the summer is what keeps the black bears uh, back in the woods where we just assume they stay so she has some intrinsic value yeah. here besides just being a pet. That's true. And she's also, um, last summer she was just a puppy, but I, many campers said, you know, I really miss my dogs at home, but Arlo's like my surrogate dog here at camp. So she's also kind of a comfort companion dog to all of our campers, which I really love seeing because she's so good with them. <laughs> yeah, of course, those especially young boys they need a small yeah. piece of home especially yes. if they're starting to get homesick yep so does she that. does she go in the canoe and go paddling too she does yeah um I'm curious to see how she'll do this year now that she's so much bigger um but yeah last summer we took her paddling all over the place 
She did pretty well. She kind of just falls asleep. Oh, she doesn't like rock the canoe over. <laughs> yeah, she rocks the canoe. She over. does. <laughs> she does. But once we get going, like on a big stretch of open water, she calms down. It's good to be ready to throw your weight to the other side if she decides to get up on the gunnels. But um, yeah, we'll see how it goes this we'll summer. See. I mean, she's what she 100 pounds now. Yeah. Oh wow. As far as like laundry and all of that, do you guys have laundry, or is that something you guys don't go do in town as well? Well, in the summer, we have a, a laundry here. We have a washing machine and a dryer, and we do the kids' laundry. Um, and so that's not much of an issue in the summer. But in the winter, it, that's all frozen. It's all drained. Uh, so our nearest laundry mat is 60 miles away. So we we plan ahead. When it's time to get groceries and or whatever other supplies we need, we, I don't know, every week we take some laundry down and do our laundry. Yeah, what a cool way of living. I was speaking to um, someone who lives up at Voyagers National Park. Yeah. And his, yeah, like hearing your lifestyle and his lifestyle just seems very, very similar, very kind of off the grid in a way, but just slow paced and very enjoyable. It's just simple. Yeah. It's, it's so easy to complicate your life and it's so hard to simplify it. But living here, you're kind of just forced into having a simpler life, which I've found to be just the best thing ever for me anyways. (laughs) I was a high school teacher for 31 years and there was nothing simple about that. Uh, It was, uh, you know, mostly boys. I I taught in the shop. I taught electronics and carpentry and engineering. And and so it was uh, was plenty of drama and to come up here and spend the winters here and are so much more relaxing and, uh, and comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just so, so much more solitude. I mean, is there anything else about the camp that we haven't touched on that people should touch on? I mean, if somebody wanted to come to your camp, do they just go to your website to sign up? Yep, it's just www.birchwoodwildernesscamp.com. Yeah, they can enroll there. We always encourage folks to give us a call. Um, We love chatting about camp, but yeah, you can enroll right online. And do you find that, is there usually like, an over enrollment in the summers where you sometimes have to turn people away? We don't usually have to turn people away, but I will say the our second session um, in later July and August tend to fill up more quickly just because the weather tends to be a little bit better. Um, that seems to be the most popular one. There have been times when campers uh, over the years have had to choose a different session. So people can still get out there and sign up for the experience of a lifetime. And Ashley, I just wanted to touch on your blog for a little bit here. What is it called? My blog is called An Outdoor Experience. Um, and I started it when I moved up here and, and family and friends were kind of just wanting to know if I was surviving. <laughs> so I started writing a blog about what it was like to live up here. Um, and it kind of just stuck. And now I, I, I still write that blog. It's a lot about um, just the fullness of a life lived outdoors, living with the seasons, fun things to do up in northern Minnesota, that sort of a thing. So, yeah, an outdoor experience. Yeah, I mean, your pictures on there are phenomenal. And the way that you write is really, really captivating, too. I I enjoy looking at it. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. And so writing, that wasn't something you ever did down when you were working your job right after college? That just came? Right. Yeah, as an engineer, I was not writing. When I was in college, I wrote for our college magazine. And I've always loved writing. Um, And, you know, it's funny, a while, maybe... A few months ago, 
my dad told me that my mom always wanted me or always thought I would be good at writing and photography, um, which when she was living, she passed away in 2013. But when she was living, she never once told me that. And now I have a blog and I'm super into photography. So it's funny. Mothers know best. I'm telling you. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Really special. And in the blog, I mean, it looks like you had one video tour of your cabin. So I think anybody listening should definitely go check that out, too, because that was really fun to watch. People just kept asking me, please make a video tour of your cabin. And I just kept saying, well, it's going to be two minutes long. But somehow I managed to string it out for like 25 minutes. So um, if you want to hear me jabbering and showing you my cabin, it's it's got rich history every board in that cabin has a story, which is what I get to in that video. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it it was, I was expecting to maybe see a little bit more of a kitchen, but it sounds like you always go over to your dad's to cook. Yes. Yep. Yep. I've, I've got a toaster and a microwave and a mini fridge and an electric kettle. Um, but I just always end up coming up to my dad's cabin, uh, to cook everything. I make coffee in my cabin sometimes, but that's about it. (laughs) And how far away are your cabins? Oh, well, 300 feet. Yeah, not far. Okay. And are the other neighbors, I mean, are they even close proximity or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Across the river, there's a line of houses. Most of them are summer cabins, though. Um, in the winter months, we've only got two full-time neighbors. Well, we have a guy just down from us. It's a retired gentleman that's uh lives all by himself. He makes jewelry. And then there's another guy across the river that's just retired and he'll be spending more time here. His, oh, yeah. his cabin is winterized. But the real residents that we uh, see all the time are down at Voyager Canoe Outfitters. Yeah. And uh, Matt and Cassidy are the, uh, are the, the, uh, managers. the managers of the place. They live right on site. And so uh, we help each other out and uh, yeah, they come over <laughs> once in a while or we come over there and we have a bonfire or dinner or whatever. Yeah, so cool. there are other people. And then further down uh, the river, actually, I guess it's up the river towards Seagull. Uh, there is another guy that runs uh, a way of the wilderness outfitters and he lives there year round. That's Mark Darling. So there are people around. Yeah. And it sounds like, I mean, that's neat that you guys make connections with them. And I mean, you kind of have to when there's only a few of you up there. Making those connections right. sounds super important. Yep. Yeah. Well, we kind of keep an eye on each other a little bit to make sure. And if yeah. anybody needs help, any one of us will, you know, pitch in to help in any way we can. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We were, we recently went and stayed up at the um, Hungry Hippie Hostel. How far are you guys from that? About 64 miles. Yeah, a little bit more. Than that. <laughs> a little further. Yeah. Yeah. But that was, that was a really cool experience. Yeah. That is a really cool spot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Is there anything else you guys want to add? Um, nothing that I can think of. Uh, you know, we, uh, we run this camp, but we also live the part. We both go on adventures and, uh, we see that as uh, an important part of our lives. You know, I walked across Spain on the uh, Camino Santiago and uh, people have asked me, well, let me see your pictures. I want to see all your pictures. And there's, there's pictures of people's dogs and cats and goats and sheep and uh, flowers and plants and caterpillars. And, and they say, well, aren't there a lot of churches and things? Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of those too. But um, 
that's not what my interest was. And so, uh, you know, we definitely live in an area where, as you've said many times now, that we're in touch with this uh, wilderness and this uh, outdoor environment. And I think that's a healthy way to live. Absolutely. And when did you do that, Dan? When did you hike across Spain? Last April. Um, when April is a tough time up here because the river's melting. And uh, when the ice is unsafe, we have to canoe across uh, one little spot that is open. And so we both decided to go uh, elsewhere last April, and I decided to, uh, to hike the Camino. And so I left the last week of March, and I came back the first week of uh, May. And to do that, did you do any training? I mean, being, working at a camp and being outdoors all the time, you already stay active. But was there any additional training you had well, to do? Well, I did. Yeah, I, I knew that I had to walk uh, um, you know, roughly 20 miles a day on the Camino, or that's, that was my goal. And so I started walking to the mailbox and back, which doesn't sound like much, but it's five miles round trip. Uh, and then a couple of times I walked to a nearby uh, resort, uh, the Gunflint Lodge, which is about 16 miles. And one time I walked there and I thought, well, I'll just I'll just hitch a ride back thinking, you know, on the Gunflint Trail, you stick out your thumb, somebody will pick you up and nobody picked me up. And so I had to walk there and back. And that's when I realized, well, 32 miles, that's kind of my limit. And so as I uh, progressed on the Camino and we walked... Uh, more and more and more each day. Pretty soon we were up to 25, 30 miles. And uh, two different days I walked 40 miles and the next day uh, that wasn't good. So I realized that, okay, 20, 30 miles is kind of my limit. So that's kind of the extent of the training that I did. Um, and I found people on the Camino that, uh, you know, had done zero training. I, I hiked a little bit with a guy that was walking 50 miles a day, which I, I can't even imagine. But people are there for all kinds of reasons and in all kinds of shape. Some people were uh, quite out of shape, and I was surprised they were doing as well as they could. Some people have travel agents that book all of the uh, hotels, and uh, they carry their bags from one town to the next. Um, some people stay, stay outside, which... It's not a very good way to camp, I don't think, on the Camino, but uh, the majority of the people hike from town to town to town, and you stay in these albergues, which are uh, kind of like what most people would think as a youth hostel. Um, so it's a dormitory style, or it's like camp in a way. It's uh, And some people find that objectionable, and others think it's fine. So it was great. I, I just uh, had the best time and met the most wonderful people. And I'm friends with three people, one from uh, Lithuania and one from South Korea and one from Australia now. So we have a little Camino family uh, that we, you know, we chat back and forth. And it was a really rewarding experience, quite a bit different than the Pacific Crest Trail. Because you did that entire thing or you said that was 100 miles? Uh, no, I just did a section from the northern border of California up to Crater Lake. It's about 100 miles. But that was uh, that was exciting. And. It's something I always want to do uh, since I was in junior high school. And, uh, of course, the popularity with the movies that have been made, uh, you know, it, it was in my on my radar, so to speak. So that was exciting, too. Yeah, that's that would be a really neat experience, too. And how how long did the Camino take you? Um, it took me 
from the end of March to the first week of May. So I spent a little over five weeks hiking. Okay. Yeah. That's a long time. And I mean, that's like so cool, especially, I mean, did you find that there was other people around your age doing this too? Or did you find you were one of the older people doing that? I mean, to, to be not saying you're super old, but I mean, you have right. actually as a daughter, you're likely the age of my, my, yeah. my parents. I'm 64 years old. And there were people uh, that I met that were in their eighties uh, that were hiking. And uh, I saw some little kids with their family hiking. Uh, but the majority of the people that I saw looked like you and Ashley uh, were in that age, perhaps uh, in between college and a profession, or uh, I'm not sure exactly what, because it's, you know, a, a whole month of your life is a lot of time for a lot of people to take off just to go do that. But I saw everybody there. And then on the Pacific Crest Trail, uh, the guy I met, uh, his trail name was Still Looking. And still looking was uh, 10 years older than I was. And uh, he looked at all my stuff that I carried and he shook his head. And when I saw how he packed, I realized, holy cow. I mean, my pack weighed 26 pounds on on the Pacific Crest and his pack weighed 16 pounds. But and I saw a lot of young people, a lot of 20 year olds on the Pacific Crest and the through hikers, the ones that are going all the way from either. Mexico to Canada or vice versa. Um, those were some pretty hardcore people. Uh, it seemed to me they were a little crusty. Some of them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, I can only imagine. Wow. So, and I mean, what's, what's your, your secret to be this active at this age? Is it just the, the outdoor enthusiasm you have or what, what tips do you have for people? <laughs> I don't know if I have any tips. I I just uh, get up and do it. I've never been afraid to try something. And when I first learned about the Camino, I thought, well, that might be fun. And then when I realized, well, April's a really lousy time to be here, I thought, wow. And, you know, people ask me the same thing. You think you can do it? And I I don't know if I can do it or not. Uh, but if I can't, you just you get your bus and a plane and you come home. And so what the heck? And when I went out to Pacific Crest, did the same thing. I thought, well, I don't know if I can do it or how far I can go, but I'm just going to give it a go. And I've always been outdoors. And when I taught at the high school, I used to walk to school and back. I used to walk two miles there and two miles back almost every day, uh, you know, for 30 some years. So uh, walking is something I feel comfortable doing. I don't know if we were recording when we talked about his trail name being Gump. No, we weren't. Yeah. So his trail name is Gump. And now you can probably understand why he just gumps through life like Forrest Gump. He just, he nothing is impossible to him. And that's how he raised me truly. Like if you can dream it up, go do it. And um, that's just how he's always been. He's got an idea in his mind. He just goes and does it. And what's the worst that can happen? Well, there's no shame in not accomplishing what you thought you were going to do. Right. You know, if, you, if, you, if you can't do it, so what? You, you do something different. I think that's important. So many people have their eye on that end goal. We've got to do this. You've got to get to the end. And it's, I think that's great. That's what pushes you along a lot of times. But, um, you know, it's not working out. It's not working out. Switch yeah. gears. I think my dad used to tell me, he said, if the horse dies, get off. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always believed that was a... It's a good way to live. Hmm. Yeah. What a really cool insight. I like that. 
And I mean, Ashley, did you, when your dad went to do that for like a few weeks, were you, I mean, you just weren't shocked in the least bit? No, not really. I thought it was kind of important for him to go do by himself. So yeah, no, that seemed far for the course for him. (laughs) (laughs) And where, where did you take yourself last spring? Oh, well, I lived in the house that we still had in Grand Rapids. We hadn't sold it yet um, for a whole month. And I just was itching to get back up to camp. I w- it was really eye-opening for me because I have just spent all winter living up at camp. And then I was now living back in town in Grand Rapids. And it was, man, town life is not for me anymore. <laughs> I, I I missed like not having actual running water and <laughs> I don't know it, it was eye-opening I was running back when that month was over <laughs> wow because most people go out backpacking and like they're like oh they're so happy to be back in their house sure yeah well, there was no doubt about that at the end of all of my trips I'm always happy to come home it's always nice to sleep in your bed that's for sure but it doesn't take very long and it's to go explore something else arises and it's fun to go do it yeah. I just love being here all the time I go to Duluth for a weekend and I'm like get me back to the Gunflint Trail <laughs> I don't know it's just you know sometimes you you discover a place and it just like everything about it screams to you like this is where you belong this is your home that's what this place is for me I just love being here all the time <laughs> Yeah. And I think that's so clear in the way that you write and capture it through your blog. It's just clear that this is your passion and that's where you, where you want to be. Yep. Totally is. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that comes through on my blog. Totally. Yeah. I mean, you guys are doing a really cool thing. Thank you so much for taking time to talk with us. Oh, thank you for having us. Yeah. This has been super awesome. We do a lot of our chatting with people on Instagram. I run our camp's Instagram, which is also Birchwood Wilderness Camp. So feel free to hit us up there and chat with us. I share like a lot of fun, just like behind the scenes, daily life, what it's like here in the winter on that account. So perfect. People should go check that out as well. See the the dog pulling the sled on the ice. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you. This has been awesome. Happy trails. The Boundary Waters Canoe Area is a really special place, and I think that anyone that has been there even just once knows exactly what I'm talking about. Talking with Birchwood Wilderness Camp's Ashley and Dan was a really cool experience because not only are they family, but they're doing this camp together. And they, Ashley has so many memories of her childhood of going to this camp and going to the Boundary Waters with her dad. And I recently heard a stat that the average age of the person who goes to the Boundary Waters is 52. 52? That's older than I would have guessed. It never hurts to start out young Children learn and adapt and soak in so much more at a younger age. So I think if you are an outdoors family or looking to get into the outdoors, you should go for it and don't hesitate to do it at a younger age with your family. This boys camp where they lead expeditions up in the Boundary Waters and on the Superior Hiking Trail and all along 
northern Minnesota. It sounds amazing. I wish I could go back in a time machine so I can attend this camp. And what better activity to send your kid to during the summer when they aren't in school and maybe mom and dad need a little break at home. They can definitely gain some awesome teamworking skills, some confidence building, and just have a great time. If you'd like to learn more about Birchwood Wilderness Camp or if you would like to enroll your child in the camp, go head on over to birchwoodwildernesscamp.com. We'll have the link down in the description of this episode. Also, follow Birchwood Wilderness Camp on Instagram for some amazing pictures and some insight into the behind the scenes at the camp. Why not send your kid out of camp at a young age and instill that love of the wilderness in them now? We love sharing these stories with you through the Hiking Through Life podcast, and we're so grateful that you listen to this podcast. If you'd like to support the Hiking Through Life podcast further, we have these amazing new t-shirts and water bottles. The t-shirts come in four colors, and the water bottles are perfect for trails, adventuring, or daily use. Consider checking them out at hikingthroughlife.net slash shop. Use the code podcast and receive 10% off your first order. You've been listening to the Hiking Through Life podcast. Peace, love, and hike through life.